0: Well, so far we have been working on our heart problems. We've been talking about anger and anxiety and greed. And because of the fall, all of these problems are pre-existing conditions for us. And if we don't actively fight against these things through Christ, they will sneak up on us. In 2011, LA Times printed a story uh, titled this. Why are unhealthy people so reluctant to change their lifestyle? And here's what it said. It says, amazingly, people who have already suffered heart trouble, diabetes, or other lifestyle-related illnesses, people who already know the consequences of their behavior, often have an especially hard time turning things around. It seems it takes more than a wake-up call, even a life-threatening one, to get people to give up their unhealthful ways. At least 40% of smokers who survive a heart attack are still puffing away a year later. And you might think that an overweight person would slim down after a heart attack, but often that's not so. Researchers at Washington University in St. Louis followed a group of more than 1,200 overweight men and women for a year following a heart attack. And their study, published in the American Heart Journal in 2007, found that these individuals lost just an average of 0.2 of their body weight. And for a a 220-pound man, that would translate into less than one pound of weight loss. After a heart attack, you would think that we would decide to make some changes. We don't like anything that threatens our comfortable way of living. And we don't like the pressure of having to change. Everyone in my house knows which chair is mine. Amen? How many of y'all got a situation like that? I've even trained... My kids to get up whenever I come in the room, and it's obvious I'm going to to sit down. They just they just do it now; they don't even really complain anymore. But I love to recline back and to get a blanket and turn on the show how it's made, which is just interesting enough to keep my attention, but not so exciting that I would stay awake. And I I love to take a nap. I love comfort, and you do too. We all do. But holding on to comfort can be a real heart problem. Imagine if our military were to worship comfort. That would be a real problem. But instead, they put themselves in harsh environments, in faraway places, trying to protect us. We can worship comfort. But we aren't called to be comfortable as Jesus followers. Rarely does anything great happen in our comfort zones. Francis Chan said this, He said, the challenge for us as 21st century Western Christians is that we have so many creature comforts. Our lavish lifestyle chips away at our dependence upon God. The Holy Spirit may be called the comforter, but we don't have much need to depend on his comfort. We're self-made. We're independent. We can take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. Why would we need to experience the comforter if our lives are already comfortable. Nothing great ever happens in our comfort zone. The primary thing that happens in our comfort zone is a wasted life. In our comfort zone, we miss opportunities by choosing the easy route. We're lulled to sleep by a sense of security. We might choose good things and miss God things. In our comfort zone... We buy into the idea that we can work hard for a season of life and then center our life around leisure and comfort and rest. We believe that it's our life and we can do what we please with it. We do whatever we, uh, gives us a sense of happiness. In our comfort zone, comfort is sought ahead of anything else, including God's will, for our lives. We can grow even accustomed to our sin and fail to confront it. Those are just some of the dangers of Comfort, and you might not have any major vices in this room today, and you might say, I'm pretty good on all the Ten Commandments and all those different things, but comfort can waste your life just as much as addiction can. We have talked about Hebrews 11 before. Some people call it the hall of faith, and it's a list of some of the followers of God that made huge impacts with their lives. But there's one common theme when you read that chapter. It's that none of it was done in comfort. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice to God by the sweat of his brow. Noah spent years building a boat. Abraham left his home country and everything he, he knew in order to follow God to a place that he had no idea where he was going. Joseph was sold into slavery so that he might... Save his people. Moses left the palace so that he might take God's people out of slavery. Rahab faced death in order to help the Hebrew spies. Gideon faced armies. David fought giants. None of these amazing things were done in their comfort zone. Hebrews 11.33, it goes on and says, Through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of earth. There's nothing comfortable about any of that. But why do we think that we are owed comfort? Why do we think that we deserve to be comfortable when we have all these examples of these people that did great things only through pushing through uncomfortable situations. We aren't called to comfort. The primary thing that happens in our comfort zone is a wasted life. Addiction to comfort keeps us from doing the eternally great things that God has for us. Louis Giglio uh, gives us four steps to fighting the heart problem of comfort. And the first one is this. He says, realize that faith thrives in discomfort. Faith thrives in discomfort. The gospel is rooted in discomfort, the discomfort of Christ. The cross that brought us, uh, uh, that brought Jesus pain, brought us freedom. And we're alive in God because Jesus chose to reject comfort, the comfort of heaven, and to endure the discomfort of the cross. As people that follow Jesus Christ's example, is it strange that we should be called to discomfort as well? Matthew 16, 24, we've read this many times. It says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his discomfort, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Right there, it's spelled out to a T. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up this discomfort, take up this sacrifice, take up this cross, and then you will find life. If you want to hold on to the comfort of this life with self-preservation, then you will lose life. You will miss out on what God has for you. You will waste life. But God says, whoever lets go of their life and hands it to me will have an abundant life. So you can have all the creature comforts in this world, but what good does it do you if you lose your soul? If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now you might be here today and say, hey, look, that really wasn't explained to me when they told me how to get to heaven. They just told me that God loved me and wanted to forgive me and didn't really ever tell me that there would be any sacrifice involved or I'd have to change anything about me. I kind of got a raw deal here. Sacrifice is part of this deal. The greatest moments in your walk for Christ will come out of the most uncomfortable decisions. And it makes sense because nothing worth having comes without a cost. That's number one, is realize that faith thrives in discomfort. Number two is to remember that the point of our lives is the fame and glory of Jesus. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That says, think less of yourself. Nothing comfortable about that at all, right? We love to think about ourselves. It goes on, it says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Put others before yourself. Instead of forcing your way all the time, put others first. That's not comfortable either. Verse four says, let each of you look out not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Put others' needs in front of yours. Put yours on the back burner. That's not comfortable. Have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, you want an example Look what Jesus did. He says, "Who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or hold on to. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There's nothing uh, comfortable about any of that. But because of that, verse 9 goes on and says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Your purpose in life is to glorify God. That's it. That's why you were made because God is so awesome and so big and so wonderful that he deserves to be worshiped. Your purpose in life is to make his name known, to make him more renowned, to make him more famous. And you might be here today and say, I'm not important. I don't understand why I'm even here. Why was I ever even born? This is the reason you were born to glorify God with your life. And to give him praise because he is worthy. Recently, it's come to many of your attentions that I don't like surprise parties. And really, that's not the whole story. I don't like any party where I am the center of attention. I'd much rather be in the corner somewhere making fun of and sarcastic remarks about the person that's in the center of attention, right? Right? But imagine that you love someone very much, and you have this milestone birthday coming up for them, and you decide you want to throw them a surprise party. You want that person to know that they are very special, so you get excited about getting as many people to the party as possible so that you can celebrate how great that person is and how loved they are. This is the purpose of your life. We celebrate how amazing God is. And because of that, we want more and more people to celebrate with us. It's called worship. And God deserves all the worship and praise of everything that has breath in this world. So when you see a person walking down the street, it's not because uh, you think, well, they're such a sinner and they're just so terrible that I want to tell them about God. No, it's God deserves that praise that that person has inside of them. And instead of them praising themselves and worshiping themselves, God deserves that worship. And so I want to tell them, not only will it be the best thing possible for their life, but it's what my God that I love deserves, and he needs that worship. That's the purpose. That's why we're here. We celebrate how amazing our God is. And that's why we, don't, we make sure that we don't waste our life on comfort. We put aside trying to worship and celebrate ourselves, and we worship the one is worthy to be praised. That is the whole point. So first, when we fight comfort, we realize that faith thrives in discomfort. Discomfort is not bad for your faith. All you need to do is look around at the persecuted church. The places that the church is the persecuted the most are the places that the church is growing the most. Why is that? Because faith thrives in discomfort and they can't go out a day without realizing why they're there and why they're still alive and why they have anything that they have. But instead, we tend to think it's about us. But faith thrives in discomfort. The point of our lives is the fame and glory of Jesus. Number three, when we're fighting discomfort... We need to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with God. The answer is not to align yourself with your neighbor or your friends or the culture. Purposeful life only comes from fulfilling your purpose, glorifying God, and inviting others to glorify Him as well. John 9, 4 says, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Life is time-sensitive. You have to live it on purpose, and you go in the direction that you're pointed. So what today are you pointed towards? We must align ourselves with God and not the other way around. We don't make God into what we want him to be. We align ourselves with God, and that's revealed through his word. So lastly, we remember when we fight comfort, we got to remember that life is short. God gives us a certain amount of breaths. How are you going to use them? First Corinthians 10 31 tells us, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See, our whole life shouldn't be just, well, 10 o'clock, on a Sunday morning is when I worship. No, it should be every day, every moment, constantly reminding ourselves that this is worship, when I delight in God and he delights in me and this relationship that we have with each other. Because the greatest regret that any of us will have is standing before God, knowing that we lived too safe and too comfortable and too short-sighted, gluttons for pleasure rather than fanatics for Jesus' fame. P.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Then he said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. None of that happens in your comfort zone. We've got to get to a place where we stop avoiding hard things and stop complaining about things that are hard. Stop being so scared of risk. You might say, well, I'm careful because I want to be a good steward of what God gave me, and I don't want to lose it. But that's not what this phrase means when we say a good steward. Jesus told us what being a good steward was like in Matthew 25:14. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one, he gave five th- talents. To another, two. To another, one to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them and made five talents more. So also he that had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. These three men were given different amounts of money, each one a different sum. And the first two men knew what the master wanted them to do. And they made an impact with what they were given. And they invested in something and they were blessed with more. But the last man was too cautious. He was afraid. He avoided risk. The first two men were praised by the master when he returned. What happened to the last man? In verse 24, it shows us. The man that was too careful. He would receive the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. The master called this servant wicked and slothful and worthless. See, being a good steward is all about using what God has given us to further the gospel and not about being cautious or avoiding risk. We have to invest in the eternal. And a church body like this that spans generation. Uh, we have to decide not to worship being comfortable, not to worship our comfort. Because being uncomfortable is a sign that God is putting this together and making this family. Because it's not natural. And because we don't all agree on things. We have to let go of some of the peripheral things that separate us and cling to the mission that we have in common, furthering the gospel and bringing glory to God. This has to be the most important thing. And this might mean sacrificing some of your preference, some of the things that you like, some of the ways that you're comfortable with, for the most important thing, the gospel. Life is too short and our purpose is too big to not invest what we have and instead hoard it. In this parable, Jesus praises the man and both those men that invested and he blessed them with even more responsibility. In order to fight these heart problems of comfort, we remember that faith thrives in discomfort. So don't get discouraged. And the point of our lives is the fame and glory of Jesus. We delight in God, and God delights in us delighting in him. I'll say it one more time. We delight in God, and God delights in us delighting in him. That's what this whole thing is. We remember to align ourselves with God. We don't align our view of God with our desires. We align ourselves with God. And we've got to remember that life is short. You've got to use what you've been given And if you have a heart that is still beating and you have breath in your lungs, you must ask yourself, what am I going to do with this time? John Piper says this, he says, maybe you don't care very much whether you make a lasting difference for the sake of something great. You just want people to like you. If people just liked being around you, then you'd be satisfied. Or if you could just have a good job with a good wife or husband and a couple of good kids and a nice car, a long weekend, a few good friends, a fun retirement, and a quick and easy death and, and no hell. If you could have all that even without God, then you would be satisfied. That is a tragedy in the making. A wasted life. He goes on to tell this story. In April 2000, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving by Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car careened off of a cliff, and they both were killed instantly. But was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles, no, that's not a tragedy. That is a glory. These lives were not wasted. These lives were not lost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Mark 8, 35. We aren't called to comfort. And if you're comfort, that might ju- uh, comfortable right now, that might just mean that you're squandering the life that God gave you. We only get one shot at this thing. We've got to make it count and fight the heart problem of comfort. Very head bowed and eyes closed. Someone else said, "Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." Your credit score, whether you paid off your mortgage, the job title that you held, the fact that you were the funny guy around the office. None of those things matter, and yet we spend so much time worrying about those things, so much time investing in those things, rather than investing in glorifying God with all that we have. Band's going to play. question today for you is am I comfortable and what am I doing for God to fight the heart problem of comfort think about your complaints over the last, uh, complaints over the last week What are the things that get you riled up, things that get you upset? It might just be a sign that you're comfortable and you don't like, you're lashing out against that. Maybe God's trying to push you out into something that you're scared to do, scared to admit. Maybe God's calling someone today to change their job to do something that lasts forever. Can have faith that if God's calling you to do that you can trust him we all want to be comfortable but nothing great ever happens in our comfort zone the primary thing that happens in our comfort zone is a wasted life let's stand to our feet Every head still bowed and eyes still closed. Let's take some time to ask those questions. Altar's open this morning. You want to take an uncomfortable step down an aisle and kneel uncomfortably at the floor of an altar and say, I don't care what people think. I don't care who's looking at me. I'm going to take a physical step just like I'm taking a spiritual step and I'm going to get on my knees physically like my heart posture uh, will be spiritually. And I'm going to ask God to help me to fight this comfort. As they play, you do whatever God asks you to do.